I think it's super complicated. It's much easier to just feed a balanced recipe. Um, and to get a balanced recipe is to make sure you're getting it from a legitimate source of information. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. <laughs> With the Dog Podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Happy With a Dog Wednesday and happy holidays, everyone. I hope everyone's doing great and If you're visiting family, I hope it's going well and you're not going stir crazy yet. I am with my family in Lake Tahoe. I was going stir crazy last week since I drove down early, but now we are up at the lake and we are happy. There's snow on the ground and dog zaddy flew down to meet me. I've got Albie with me, my youngest dog and Lupin, my older one, is being spoiled by his grandma up in Seattle still. So we're all doing great. So this is technically a Christmas episode, but there's nothing Christmassy about it. (laughs) This is actually a very informational episode because I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, I should do some kind of like year in review or some kind of, I'm so thankful for you guys, which, you know, I could have still done, but I feel like I kind of did that. You know, I really, I gave you a great, I love you so much at Thanksgiving And then a couple weeks ago with my episode with Izzy, the 2021 retrospective, kind of did that then as well. I didn't really do that much this year, so there's not really that much to um, reflect upon. However, I do just want to say to all of you guys, thank you for an awesome year. Thank you for an awesome 2021. The podcast went through so many changes. Izzy left as a co-host, so it was just down to me, and you guys were still listening, which made me feel so great because I was very worried (laughs) that no one would listen if it wasn't a co-host situation. So thank you for that. The podcast also went through a rebrand. Um, I, you know, the studio got updated to to be a little bit more conducive to solo hosting, and I had a crazy busy summer where I actually leaned on quite a few of you listeners to be guests, which was absolutely awesome. So just want to say thank you for an awesome year, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We have much, much more planned for next year. And speaking of that, so today is December 22nd and the I'm going to skip. I'm going to take next week off. So next week, the 29th, there will be no episode. But that means coming back on the 5th of January, We're coming back with a bang. And when I say we, I mean our returning guest, Charlotte, also known as Charlotte with Dogs on Instagram. She and I are doing the very long-awaited sex episode. You guys sent in your funny sex stories, and we are going to read them off. So a lot of them have to do with, actually every story has to do something with dogs, whether the dogs was somehow like in the room doing something ridiculous maybe biting you during sexy time, maybe licking some stuff they weren't supposed to. I don't know. You're going to hear it all. You're going to hear all of the embarrassing, ridiculous things that happen, sex with the dog in the room. 
I have to say that really fast because you don't want it to be sex with a dog. It's sex with a dog in the room. So (laughs) coming into 2022 with a bang sex episode, make sure you go listen to that on January 5th. But in the meantime, this episode is going to tide you over for the next two weeks because it is an absolute banger. I'm I'm really rolling on this sex puns right now. Absolute banger. No, (laughs) this episode today is so good. There is so much information in this episode. It's going to last you two weeks because I think you're going to want to listen to it twice. I have already. Like I've listened to it so many times. I've like taken notes. Also, I highly recommend listening all the way to the very end because it is jam-packed with the info until like the very end of the episode. The reason I wanted to do this kind of homemade diet, fresh food diet episode is because I really feel like it's a trending thing in the dog parent world. Many people are interested or maybe they're seeing a lot of companies promote their fresh food diet and you think, oh, would that be better for my dog? I don't know. They're on kibble. Who knows? Or should I make my own? But is this recipe okay? And what I learned in this episode and what I kind of suspected already is most people are not doing it right. So Nikki, our guest today, she comes in, she gives so much info about how to do a homemade diet correctly. What are some of the negatives to it? What are the reasons to pursue it? And also, if you're looking to purchase fresh food diets, what to look for in the companies to make sure it's a quality food. Because as we know, sometimes with pet industry things, things aren't uh, regulated to the standard that we would want them to. So she mentions a lot of resources, a lot of websites, certifications that she recommends a food needs to have or a recipe needs to have. All of those resources are in the show notes. So don't worry about that. They're all in the show notes. And also disclaimer, I don't know why I'm adding disclaimers to my episodes lately. (laughs) I don't think there's anything that's like (laughs) legally an issue. But as usual, all of my episodes are for informational purposes. So if you still, you know, feed kibble and you want to feed kibble, go for it. This is purely just for the information on if you have been looking into wanting to do this, here's the info. And then you go ahead and decide what is best for your dog and your lifestyle. I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope that it is beneficial for you and your dogs. And once again, Happy New Year. Happy holidays. I love you all. A little bit more of our guest as we get into this episode. Nikki is a dog mom and a registered veterinary technician with a passion for educating pet parents about the science behind canine nutrition. On her blog, The Canine Health Nut, she shares information on a range of dog food nutrition topics. From how to create a homemade, complete, imbalanced dog food recipes to how to choose a dog food, Nikki strives to give her dog parents the information they need in order to make the best nutrition decisions for their pups. So, Nikki, welcome to the With the Dog podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. Well, I'm so happy we've finally connected after I feel like we've been following each other on Instagram for a while and I love all your informational posts. So I was like, I need to have her on. And of course, right in the middle of the holiday season. So thank you also for coming on in the middle of busy season. But um, before we get into everything, can you just briefly introduce yourself to the listeners? 
Sure. So my name is Nikki. I'm a registered veterinary technician here in Southern California. I live in San Diego. Um, and just, I guess, so people understand what a registered veterinary technician is. It's very similar to like a registered veterinary nurse if you're in the UK or like a registered nurse in the sense of qualifications. Um, and I have two dogs. So I have um, two eight-year-old pups now, Ranger and Ash. Um, they're both like medium-sized mixed breed mutts that I adopted when they were like, I wouldn't say young puppies, but like older-ish puppies. Um, Rangers okay. from the North County San Diego Animal Shelter and Ash is from Helen Woodward. So um, Ash, actually, I adopted. I didn't know it until I was like filling out paperwork, but he was part of a litter of nine puppies that had parvo at the shelter. And mm -hmm. he had just finished recovering from that. And he was one, him and his sister were the only ones that were left afterwards. So um, he came with known medical issues but at the time when we met him he seemed like he was fine like he was like wiggly butt puppy like normal puppy um yeah. but yeah i adopted them i think in 2013 and um we've had them ever since they've both been growing up with us and everything like that <laughs> oh my gosh good for you getting two at the same time to was like it, wasn't my choice <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> my my husband had this preconceived notion that getting two puppies at the same time, we could just like potty train them all at the same time. Like he mm. actually took off a month and a half because I was we were both working full time at the time. And I was like, there's no way we can have a puppy. Like I told him, I was like, we don't have the time for a puppy. He's like, no, 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 no. I will take time off when we get a puppy. And so he took yeah. off a month and a half over the holidays and did potty training and stuff like that with them. And then I just stopped in for like the middle of the day. And then after I was done with work. So like he did the, the potty puppy training part at the beginning because I was working full time and he could take off. He'd like saved up all his vacation and put it into one spot just for his dog. Good for him. <laughs> I love that. I was I was literally just talking about that with a friend the other day I, because I I had texted my partner Mike about I don't know something dog related or I like sent a video of my dog playing and he's like, "Oh, that other dog has really good like, you know, play behavior and oh, he's like mm -hmm. he looks like a really well-bred German shepherd." And Mike is not in the animal world at all and I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> I just lo I love how much I've taught him over the years. <laughs> I love how much like he's he's picked up, and it sounds like like your husband was the same. Like he's like, I know potty training's big, so I'm taking the time off. I've got this. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like when we got dogs, so and this is, I guess, even more background on me. Like I actually went to school for zoology, so biology, zoology, and wildlife conservation, and mm -hmm. I worked in a wildlife rehabilitation clinic for seven years. And then I transitioned okay. into small animal. And when we got the mm -hmm. dogs, I'd only been doing small animal medicine for like two years in school while working at the wildlife clinic. So I would say okay. like as far as background, like I had a lot of medical knowledge and book smarts on dogs. I had done, you mm -hmm. know, things in clinics and stuff like that. But I would still call myself like baby tech when it came to small animal, like, you know, the yeah. 10,000 hours of experience kind of thing. I'd never owned a dog novice information, basic level information mm -hmm. of not having animal. He had had dogs his whole life. So he was like, don't okay. worry, this is going to be fine. And I was like, I don't know. That sounds really hard to have two puppies. Like I can't even imagine have one. He's <laughs> like, it's going to be okay. Ended up being a complete disaster, but <laughs> it was fine. I feel like it is it, one it of the, like as much as you, 
Yes, as much as you prep, it's always there's always going to be some uh, kind of disaster. And oh my god, it was so bad. Life but it was yeah. I love them dearly, and thankfully he was extremely forgiving with all of their different issues and stuff like that. So, yeah. and we both wanted dogs, so we knew what we were getting into. It was fine. Um, but yeah, it was a huge learning experience um, that first time around, especially since I really didn't feel like I was prepared, even with taking going to tech school for two years and then working in a clinic for a year. I still didn't feel prepared for them at all. No, I I completely agree. I mean, that's that's I'm totally the same. I'm like, I say it all the time. I don't want a puppy because I don't feel like one, like I don't want to, you know, like do that with my life at the moment kind of thing. But two, I'm like, I don't know if I feel prepared. Like I, I work and do everything in the animal world and I'm still like, I'm not prepared. I don't, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't yeah, know. I no, feel I get like that. that's, it's good, right? Like you know kind of what your level is. Like there's like a, a, a thing about it where it's, it's just, you know, what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. I will say, I don't think you're ever really prepared. Like, it's kind of like a child, like you might read a lot of books about it and maybe take care of your parents' kids or like your parents' friends' kids or whatever. Yeah. You're still not prepared to have your own kid. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. different when it's your own versus taking care of others. There's yes. something yeah. about it. And I feel like it's the same way with dogs. Like you can walk every dog in the neighborhood and do dog sitting, which is like, I'd been doing pet sitting for like a decade. And still wasn't 100% prepared for my own dog. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's I love fine. that. Um, okay. Well, we've already covered about your dogs and we're going to get into a little bit more, but um, how are you? How is life? Like how let's do like a dog mom check-in kind of thing. What have <sighs> you been up to lately? Well, it's the holidays. And for those, I don't know how many people like know me very well on social and stuff, but like I have uh, twin toddlers that are just turned three and then my husband and my dogs and then their birthday is in December. So it's been really busy. Like I have to do <laughs> Thanksgiving and Christmas and their birthday. And then we also have family that flies into town this time of year. So it's just absolute chaos until like January. <laughs> so okay. very, very busy getting different things for everyone. I usually, you know, wake up at five in the morning and going to bed at 10, trying to just keep my life in a semi ordered fashion. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Uh, That's what my mom was just saying the other day because my sister and I have come into town for Christmas and she's like, it's so different than when you guys were kids because like now we just do like a gift exchange and everyone shows up with their gift and you mm -hmm. know, like it's all much so much more like adult matured. She's like, sometimes I miss the days where I was running around crazy wrapping presents and stuff. And then she's like, but also I don't. And yeah. <laughs> so I can only imagine how crazy no, it's been. I mean, it's, with birthdays it's wonderful. Too. Like the the boys help me go online and like pick out treats and stuff for the dogs, like mainly based on colors that they like. Like that's fine. Um, and then yeah. you know they helped <laughs> the the dogs and the boys will do different things around the house related to Christmas and um like we have everyone's wrapping presents for each other it's like very it's a really nice time of the year but it is really really busy like it's a little stressful yes. too but totally worth yeah. it i think in the end for sure i mean all the memories and stuff that yeah. are made during now that's awesome um exactly. okay so that's what you've been up to running around like crazy but the dogs ranger and ash yeah um how how are they doing what are they up to are they just loving the craziness um, they're, I won't say they're like not super like overly social dogs. It's more like they, well, 
Ranger actually really likes it when people come over to the house because usually that means they're eating. And he has a very good like face at the table. He's the exact height of the kitchen table, like yes. exactly to the nose. So literally mm-hmm. he just goes and places his nose at the edge and just stares at you. And then if you look at him, his ears pop up and then he's just <laughs> staring. And I swear he gets like so much extra stuff whenever people come over because he's just so good at it. But um, yeah. he he likes it when people come over mainly, I think, because of the food. Like he doesn't really care to get pets or anything like that. He's just a very food motivated dog. Ash, um, I think because he was so sick when he was little, we never really socialized him very well because he had loose stool all the time. So we didn't really qualify mm-hmm. for like puppy courses or and then he wasn't feeling well. So he's a lot of anxiety. So usually when people come over, I do management strategies and have him in a separate room and with like a chewy or enrichment toy that he can mess with while we are all having dinner. Because if not, you can tell he like paces back and forth. He's very uncomfortable. And I just, I don't like that for him. So he gets his own space where he can have his little chewy and little toy and relax rather than um, getting upset because of all the people. So I would say when everything's really busy, Ash gets nervous, but Ranger is pretty lax about it. Like he doesn't really care. Um, But with the kids and stuff running around, Ash is actually better with my kids than Ranger is. So Mm. it's kind of weird. Like I was expecting Ranger to be better than Ash, but Ranger doesn't like being chased. Ash thinks that all the games we play, like baseball, things are great. So who knows? <laughs> That's so interesting. I think what you said about like having the management kind of techniques of of having Ash in the other room with a nice Kong while everyone eats or plays games or whatever is great because – and I think a lot of people feel guilty because they're like, oh, I want my dog to be part of the – event and I want them to hang out with grandma and like all of that, which is which is awesome. But if it's actually sometimes more anxiety inducing for the dog or not as fun, it's okay mm-hmm. to have them in another room and have them have like a little quiet time. And so I think that's like a really good I'm just gonna like, you know, pinpoint that for everyone <laughs> who's listening. Just like that is a really good thing that and it's okay if your dog has to be in the other room when you have people over or if, if it's really busy. Yeah. It took me a long time, I feel like, as like a dog mom to actually be okay with that though. Like the first I totally like made the like, oh, he'll get used to it. I feel like a lot of people do that when they have a dog with anxiety. They're like, oh, well, if we put him in the situation, they're just gonna get used to it. It'll be fine. And like I didn't understand yeah. anything about behavior at that time or behavior modification. And I was mm-hmm. just making it worse. Whereas yeah. this kind of management strategy, it's not, you know counter conditioning and desensitization and all that kind of stuff. But it's, we don't have family in town like this all the time. So it's, it works. Par- it works. Yeah. It's going to work for this yeah. situation. And he enjoys that actually a lot better. So yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're going to do a really quick, like quick answer round about Ranger mm-hmm. and Ash. And then we're going to go <laughs> into our actual discussion topics, actually yeah, sure. talking about nutrition. <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, no, no. You've, I've, been like loving this conversation so far. So, um, okay, quick answer round. Mm-hmm. What are Ranger and Ash their favorite foods? 
Um, for ranger, he really likes anything like fish based. So like a sardine or cod or salmon, like anything that's like kind of fishy. He loves Mm -hmm. like anything that's kind of fishy. Um, Ash on the other hand, doesn't really enjoy fish based stuff as much. He actually is more towards like, he'll like beef a lot, but like his stomach sensitive. So usually turkey or chicken are his good choices that he enjoys. (laughs) So we have to do some management there for him as well. Um, but yeah, those are probably their favorites. What about favorite toys? Um, so Ash isn't really a toy dog. He's like an activity dog. So he mm-hmm. likes to play games where you take treats and have him do things like place or run somewhere or go somewhere. But if you give him like a toy to fetch, he's just not toy driven at all. Ranger yeah. loves anything with a squeaky. So the his favorite thing for years, when he was a puppy, he liked this one Lammy toy. Like it, I think they still sell it probably at Petco. But um, they sold that and they they all went on clearance one year and I brought like 15 of them and I've been just giving him one, one every year for Christmas. So, <laughs> and they're all different colors because they went on clearance and I was like, oh, he loves these. So I just bought a whole bunch of them and he just gets another one each year. That's so cute. A new Lammy for Ranger every year. That's adorable. I love that. Well, he like dissects them. So he like takes each squeaker out and like puts it to the side slowly and just dissects it. (laughs) He loves them. So um, I have a whole bunch of them in a box. (laughs) Okay. Are they – I mean, I know you're in – San Diego area, right? So were they mm-hmm. beach or mountain dogs? Um, actually more mountain dogs. So we've there's only one beach here that I really like. So mm-hmm. there's Fiesta Island, which is like a 10 acre beach dog park, which is like really That's open. Cool. There's a lot of space. They can run around like crazy. The other ones I find are just really like squished and there's so many people that they can't really run without bumping into someone. So mm-hmm. we either do Fiesta Island or like we have so many hiking trails here, like so many mountain hiking trails that we have. We used to go like every weekend to a different hiking trail. Now that I've had my kids, they haven't gotten to the point where they can do mountains yet, but we've just started on like flatter trails again and the dogs love that. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably mountains. <laughs> the mountains. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Are they people? Do they prefer people or dogs for the, um, their company? Ash probably prefers dogs. Um, Ranger, I would say probably people, but like Ranger's one of those dogs that kind of goes with the flow. So he'll just kind of like he follows me from room to room. Ash only wants my attention when he needs something. So okay. like if he wants food yeah. or dinner or a walk, he will come up and like incessantly ask like over and over, like he'll stare at me and like paw at me and be like, excuse me, I would like these things. Uh, Ranger never asks for anything. He just is there, if that makes sense. Interesting. Very low key dog. (laughs) Okay. Well, you kind of mentioned it, but are they clingy or independent? Um, Yeah, I would – I mean, Ash has separation anxiety. So at the same time as he doesn't need me unless he wants me, he we had to get get to a point where he was okay with being alone. He's not really clingy though. Like he's not in the room with me at all. Like he's probably mm-hmm. downstairs sleeping on a bed. Like he doesn't care. But like when we leave, he's not one of those dogs that you can just leave in the house without being like in a kennel. If I don't put him in his kennel, he gets really anxious and starts pacing and like he'll destroy things. Whereas like Ranger doesn't have any type of anxiety being alone at all. So I 
Okay. Well, thank you for answering all of that. <laughs> um, quick answers and everything too. So very nice. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love doing those kind of questions with people who have two dogs because it's fun to see or to hear the different personalities of each dog. Oh, yeah. It's it's so funny how completely different they are. Like they're around the same age. They're around the same weight. They're, I mean, both herding breed Mm mixes-ish, but they have completely different like needs emotionally, physically, like nutritionally. It's all different. Well, you kind of have – you kind of mentioned this with Ash and you said that he had some medical issues when you first got him. Mm -hmm. And so – is that how you got into the canine nutrition world? You were already a registered vet tech, right? Yeah. So basically what happened was as a puppy, when we got him, he had loose stool. And honestly, I just thought like, oh, you know, this is going to resolve. And um, it just didn't. So like a month later, still loose stool. We changed. I did I did the classes thing. I think everyone does this when they're a new dog parent. Like, how do I find the best food for my dog? You go to Dog Food Advisor and you pick out like the best five-star rated dog food. I -hmm. did that because I was like, oh, well, maybe just the dog food he's on isn't very good. Like, you know, what? He was cleared by the vet. Like, he didn't have any more parasites. The parvo was gone. It's it's probably just a bad food. So I went on there and Mm -hmm. picked a five-star food and I picked another five-star food and another five-star food and all of them just completely just a mess. And then Ranger's over here on the other side and he's just like, hey, all these foods are great. (laughs) And he has no (laughs) issues on anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had one dog that had GI disease or a GI problem going on. And then Ranger at around eight months had itching. So I have these two dogs Mm. with the most common diseases that we see in vet uh, clinics that are both potentially manageable with diet. And it's just like I started with Ash and then we did Ranger. So I've done like food elimination trials on both GI and allergies as a personal experience with both. And I think unlike you where you figured out it was food. Ranger, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's it's environmental. <laughs> so yes, um, yeah, no s- special dietary restrictions. Which at the time I was kind of like peeved about because I was like, oh, like what if it was just chicken and I could have just avoid chicken? Like that would have been so much easier. But now that mm-hmm. I have kids, I'm really happy he doesn't have food allergies because he's eaten so much stuff off the ground. It's just, it's almost, it's like the, you know, the world knew that I couldn't have a food allergy dog because my kids are just (laughs) dropping stuff everywhere. Um, So anyways, uh, he ended up having environmental allergies. Ash has an unknown GI disease. And I basically just did a ton of continuing education and got a little bit obsessed when it came to nutrition um, and kind of went from there. Okay, so you expanded. How did that expand like professionally for you, like into the nutrition stuff? Because you had to try it with your own dogs. And then now you have this cool platform, like canine nutrition nut and everything. So basically what happened was that um, when I was in clinic and stuff, because I was learning more about nutrition, I could explain it really well. So like I knew why all the diets worked in therapeutic ways. It was very easy to have that conversation because I had all that information. So instead of like knowing that like a dog that has, you know, uh, I don't know, calcium oscillate stones should go on to X diet, I would be able to be like, oh, well, this is why this diet is actually appropriate and be able to explain mm-hmm. it more so that people would understand it more. So I started doing more consultations in clinic. And then basically I started noticing that maybe online in general, um, nutrition has been overly simplified. So it's basically mm-hmm. been simplified into good and bad 
or yeah. this is ideal and then this is like complete another like, you know, crap for a better word, not there. Yes. It's very um, like if you're not doing this, a hun- like you have to do it 100%. Otherwise, don't yeah. do it. Like it's it's all very black and white Yeah. Sometimes. So I – because of that and I was like, you know, there's not just – one answer for one thing. Like nutrition is extremely nuanced. There's all of these different factors. So like when someone says like, oh, you should avoid chicken because your dog has allergies. I'm like, well, we need to figure out first why your dog's itching. Is it even food? Because it might be all of these Mm -hmm. other factors. And like the full conversation isn't missing. And why they say, you know, chicken is probably what you should avoid is because it's one of the most common food allergens, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's what your dog is allergic to. A dog can be allergic to any protein source. So it can be, you know, a protein in the sense of what we think of as protein meats. It can be a carbohydrate that contains protein. Even certain vegetables contain protein. So mm-hmm. your dog can be allergic to anything that contains a protein molecule. So it's not quite as simple as avoiding chicken if your dog has an allergy. Um, and I'd, same thing with like, I know in clinic, there was always this thing of like, oh, we'll switch your dog to a fish-based diet if your dog is itching. Again. Oh my God. <laughs> it's uh, it's not necessarily like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily giving you the actual cause. So like a fish-based diet for a dog that's allergic to fish would actually make it so much worse. The reason why a dog on a chicken-based diet might be reacting is because of cross-contamination. It might not be because of the chicken. Also, chicken is really high in omega-6s. Fish is really high in omega-3s. If you have a dog with environmental allergies and put them on a fish-based diet, they may see results. So we may have all these people switching that have environmental allergies suddenly getting better and it's because they have environmental allergies and it's more, it's higher in omega-3 fatty acids. It's higher in EPA oh and DHA. God. And that's why they're recovering. So basically this yes. anecdotal circle is co- driving this, not, I won't say it's misinformation, but it's just part of the truth. It's not the whole truth. Yes. It's just part of the truth. And it makes it very, very confusing when you're a pet owner trying to step into this and trying to figure it out. Like you're like, well, everyone says different things. And I'm like, no, everyone's giving you one piece of a full sentence and then it doesn't make any sense. So. Oh my God. That's, yes. Uh, that's kind you. of <laughs> the canine health nut was created for two reasons. That was one of them. The mm-hmm. other one was because I had been cooking for Ash for. I think six years at the time. And most people don't know how to cook for their dogs in a way that is balanced. Most of the consults Mm -hmm. I do in clinic when I was, you know, one, the conversation in clinic can be really awkward. People come into clinic and, you know, they don't want to tell you they're on a homemade diet. They're scared of like disclosing that with you. Um, Usually that conversation is easier for me because they come in and I'm like, well, I also cook. And they're like, oh, oh, you're not going to yell at me for this or you're not going to, you know, mm-hmm. try to convince me out of it. I was like, no, I'm going to balance your diet <laughs> if it's working yes, for your dog. Yeah. I'm just going to balance it. That's all I'm going to do. Um, so giving people resources to find balanced diets and to also like create balanced diets and what things are true and what things aren't and things to consider with that. So there was kind of two avenues I wanted to take my blog when I started. And one was like clarifying information. And the other one was giving resources that were going to help people that wanted to pursue cooking for their dogs so that they didn't end up feeding chicken, potatoes, and vegetables in a crock pot to their dog and not adding in anything else because that happens yes. all the time. So. That that does happen. I did that for a portion <laughs> of time. <laughs> it was only for like a couple months and then I was like, 
I, I know that something's missing here. Like, yeah. I was like, I know that something is not right. But, um, but it was when I was at the wit's end with his allergies. Yeah. And you're completely right with the, with the anecdotal stuff. You know, I would go into like the boutique high end dog food places and they'd be like, you know, I'd say he's really itchy. You know, he's really pink. And they're like, Oh, well, have you tried fish? I'm like, yeah, he's been on a fish diet. And they're like, Oh, well, here's fish oil too. put, you know, pour that on top of the food. And like all this turns out Lupin has a fish allergy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I didn't know any of that. Because I, he would like sometimes get better because he also has a bit of environmental allergies when the seasons change. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes he's on like either Benadryl or Apoquil for like a couple weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Just like when he's extra itchy and then he's fine to go off is is kind of like the balance that we found. But um, but yeah, but then the food situation was – it was just so anecdotal because they're like, oh, well, maybe it's environment. And I'm like, okay, and they, I'll keep them on the fish then and then I'll switch to the chicken. And then the people are like, well, turkey. And then it turns out it's like all poultry for him. So it's just completely right. It's It gets so – I mean, of course, here I am sharing my own anecdotal thing. So, you know, everyone take this with a grain of salt. (laughs) But but I completely agree is what I'm saying. It's just like it gets so twisted. Everyone, you're getting, yeah, one part of the full sentence. So you're like blowing my mind because now I brought you on, you know, to talk about the homemade – diets and like you know homemaking your dog's food and now i'm like crap i need to get get her back on to talk about allergies again too <laughs> um <laughs> so so but moving forward so you kind of said that you have the blog and it's like the two-part kind of clarifying nutrition mm-hmm. and allergy stuff and then the other part is how to actually have a balanced diet so mm-hmm. talking about cooking for your dog at home what are the like pros and cons of doing that for the for the general household Right. So the first thing that I would say and the thing that you need to like recognize when you're cooking at home is one, you have to use a recipe. I know that there's this like generalized concept of, oh, if I rotate enough, it's going to be fine. Or, you know, if I just, you know, I, I don't have a multivitamin, so my dog doesn't need a multivitamin. Like there's a lot of these, um, uh, I guess I don't want to call them preconceived notions, but maybe myths out there mm-hmm. and that have some truth. So like rotating, you can rotate through diets to achieve balance, but it's not as easy as changing your protein source. It's much, much more complicated than that because you need to, honestly, I think it's probably the most complicated way to do a homemade diet because you're going to have to do a week's worth of diets, average all of the fat soluble vitamins and all your minerals, and then make sure you're water-soluble vitamins are available on a daily basis at Mm -hmm. recommended values. Like I think it's super complicated. It's much easier to just feed a balanced recipe um, and to get a balanced recipe is to make sure you're getting it from a legitimate source of information. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Um, I think there's a couple of different research studies out. There's um, from all over the world, Japan. um, There was one that was in uh, Portugal, a couple that are in the US. All of them found between 90 percent to 100 percent of diets that they have evaluated so done like a, a nutrient profile analysis are not complete and balanced that you find online or even in books so books are oh, not if you do a book a book is not like a free pass on that yeah they also there was one study that was done by um uc davis where they actually evaluated the authors and their education level 
in the diets mm. they did. And they found that um, even some recipes written by veterinarians were not complete and balanced. They did find that the recipes written by veterinarians usually had less um, significant deficiencies. So your deficiency might be at 80% rather than 50% or zero, but they still would have deficiencies. They also found that they didn't have like as many deficiencies. So they might have one or two versus the 10 to 14 that you might see in a recipe online. Um, the other thing they found is that most recipes were not very specific. So if a recipe doesn't give you like when you're measuring the food, the cut of the meat, the type of the oil, the like if it's not specific where you know exactly what cut of meat to purchase at the grocery store, it's not a good recipe. Or exactly okay. how much to feed your dog, it's not a good recipe. But starting with a good recipe is a good idea. You can find those at, um, by consulting with the Board of Nutritionists at the ACVN.org. Um, rather expensive. Sort for ones that do client consults. It'll be a three-way conversation with your veterinarian to create a recipe. Okay. Um, you can do one at balanceit.com. Um, which they allow you to create them, or you can use one of their pre-made ones. You can toggle it to human supplements or use their powdered mix. Um, PetDiets.com was put together by, I think they've added on a boarded nutritionist. I think there's five of them on staff now. Um, okay. But they have a library of recipes that you can choose from, pay $25 for the first one, and I think can't remember if it's 20 or 15 for the second and additional recipes. So you can get mm -hmm. recipes there. Um, and there's also some books that are pretty good. You just have to look at the education level of the person writing the book because they found yeah. that if it's written by a boarded nutritionist, it was balanced. But if it was written by a veterinarian, maybe balanced, maybe not. If it was written by someone that's a breeder or a groomer or just like an animal enthusiast, most likely not balanced is what those papers yeah. showed. So um, okay. balance is a big deal uh, as far as a homemade recipe. But once you have that recipe, the next thing that is a con is that most people drift from their recipe. <laughs> so, mm, yes. um, so for example, like when we cook for ourselves, you might replace, say, olive oil with coconut oil sometimes because you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't have any olive oil. I'm just going to grab my coconut oil. Yeah. For our dogs – Different types of oils have different types of fatty acid profiles. So if you switch out a, say, a corn oil, which is very high in linolytic acid, which is an essential fatty acid required for dogs, with coconut oil, which does not contain linolytic acid, you're causing deficiency. Um, olive oil, you need about 10 times the amount to cover the linolytic um, acid requirements of corn oil. Mm -hmm. So recipe drift can cause deficiencies or even excess if you switch out organ meats for each other, stuff like that. So you have to yeah. be really good about sticking to your recipe. And that's really hard for some people. Yes. Well, especially because you start extrapolating, as you said, in your own mind of like either changing the recipe because it's like, this is what I have on hand. Or you're like, well, they need a little variety. I'm going to put in you know, spinach instead of kale or like whatever. You're like, oh, give them a little treat. And as you said, it, that completely makes sense. It it starts to change the actual balance of the diet. Exactly. So recipe drift is a thing you have to be kind of detail oriented to. Um, so if you aren't a detail oriented person, I usually don't recommend cooking because you're going to have to measure everything. Like to make mm -hmm. a home, like I have a giant bowl, I have a scale, I cook the meat, then I have to weigh the meat after I cook it. 
to a certain grams for my dog's weekly mm. batch. Then I'm cooking the rice and then I'm weighing all the rice out for the batch. It's not like I'm scooping, oh, it's three scoops of this. It's you're weighing everything in grams to make sure that you have consistency within your batch. So it can be interesting, yeah. hard for people, especially like really seasoned cooks where they're used to like eyeballing it, like a pinch of this yeah. and throw in a little bit of that and oh, it looks good. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost like math in that sense. Like you have to be more detail oriented than necessarily you might've been for cooking for yourself. And that can also be hard. So if you're a baker- and not a cook, yes. then you're going to do better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's, I am not good at baking <laughs> because it's always like so precise measuring and following the directions exactly. And I'm like, ugh. And so, okay, yes. that makes sense. So if you're a baker, you probably would do really well with this because it's not – I mean, I will say my granny does not have very good in the sense of measurements. She's like, oh, this looks about right. And it always turns out perfect yeah. and I don't understand it. But like if you are a baker that actually measures things, yes. <laughs> um, uh 90-year-old grandmothers don't count. (laughs) But anyway, so you have a recipe you have to follow. You have to be very precise on your measurements. You have to follow the recipe to a T. That can all be just logistically really difficult. You're also not going to be running quality control analysis, doing feeding trials, anything like that on your homemade diet, right? Like none of that is happening. You are not sending your final product in to a lab to get tested for typical analyses right? That's not happening. Yeah. You're basing it off of a, re- uh, a recipe. So that's kind of a con is in in comparison to like a pre-made fresh food diet where they might send it yeah. out for all of those things. They might have feeding trials. You might not have that for something like this. Um, okay. Some of the like more, I guess, positives and obviously time, I guess I always forget about time, but it takes time to cook for your dog. Yeah. Yeah. um, Depending on the recipe. So the recipe I make for Ranger takes about 45 minutes. So not too bad Mm -hmm. for a week's worth of food. But there are some recipes like I did in the past. I don't do potato recipes anymore. I hate them. And I usually warn people that do potatoes that unless they have equipment to chop them, it is going to be an absolute nightmare. So um but there is a recipe that I did was was a fish-based recipe for him because of his allergies. A while ago, it was like potatoes and fish. It took hours to make because all the fish had to be roasted. And it was like oh a ton God. of fish. And then I think I had to use – I only had a single oven. It was like four batches in the oven. And then I had to roast baked potatoes. It was like a five-hour <laughs> recipe. It was ridiculous. So I usually warn people if they have large breed dogs – we want to stagger their cooking where some things are going in the oven. Some things might be going in like a rice cooker or like a crock pot. And then some things will go in the stove pot top. Because if you do that, you're not, you don't have to do so many runs through one piece of cooking equipment. It's just, yeah. it can be so taxing. So um, put everything through one thing, especially with a large breed dog. With a small breed dog, you know, two cooking trays and you got a week's worth of food and it's fine. But like I have a 50 pound dog. So my experience is you don't want to use everything in one, I guess, piece of cooking equipment. You're just not going to have enough space to cook a week's worth of food. It doesn't work. What's coming to mind is like someone who meal preps, like a gym bro, who's like really mm-hmm. like into the like, okay, we get one scoop of this supplement and then this and then like, and they're like weighing out their protein grams and mm-hmm. like meal prepping. I feel like someone like that would be really good. At this oh, yeah, yeah. For the homemade it, diet. For- <laughs> it is so, so like similar to that. Like when you go and do all of them, you literally like you, I do it in a big, in a big bowl. 
So I have a Mm -hmm. giant bowl and then I measure the weekly amounts all into that bowl and then I divide it. But Mm -hmm. if you have um, maybe less ingredients, so more simple recipe, or um, if you have like a really small dog doing in little containers, weighing it out all individually, maybe actually more um, time efficient, if that makes sense. Yeah. For me, I found like like Ranger's recipe has like, um, it's a minimally supplemented recipe using balance it. So it doesn't actually use their supplement. It uses just mm-hmm. some, um, it uses a iodized salt and um, calcium. And okay. because of that, it has like 10 ingredients. So if you think time-wise, it's easier to do it in one big pot and then divide it by seven versus yeah. actually weighing 10 ingredients into each container. For every single day. Yeah. So at least that's what I found. And there's like that troubleshooting phase when you start cooking where you're going to try one thing and then it's gonna you're gonna be like, nope, that doesn't work. And then you're gonna try another thing too. Mm-hmm. And um you're also gonna have to potentially source your ingredients. Like you have to figure out where to get them. Where like with yeah. a pre-made, they do all that sourcing for you. You don't have to worry about that. With a homemade recipe, like if I say like, oh, you know, that recipe is going to need um, oysters. You're going to have to go source oysters for the recipe or we're going to have to make a recipe without oysters. So you have to kind yeah. of um, source things, especially with um, the pandemic. I have found, at least for me, I actually went to pre-made for um, both of my dogs for a period of time, even though it was cost a lot more money because I couldn't find ingredients. I was only allowed to purchase one pound of meat per week in my local grocery. Oh. And that's for a family of four humans and then mm-hmm. two dogs, which eat each almost a pound of meat a day. Yeah. So it just wasn't enough for everyone. So I went with pre-made for that period of time, even though it costed more just because I couldn't source any ingredients for my dogs. I wasn't allowed to purchase them. There were no canned goods or anything like that. So sourcing can be hard and like novel proteins too. So like if you need like a alligator, you're going to have to go source alligator. Now there's not a pre-made alligator diet. So, you know, you're kind of stuck. You're going to have to source alligator, but um, there is now a pre-made kangaroo diet. So, yes, you know, some of the novel proteins you can actually source now. So there's kind of that, I guess, uh, give and take in in that situation where you can source them in other ways. You might be able to get them shipped, but it kind of depends. So those are a lot of the cons slash, you know, things to note in making a homemade diet. What are the benefits? Because I feel like, and one of the reasons I want to have you on is I feel like there has been kind of like this, I don't want to say resurgence, but like a a little bit of a trend of people jumping on the homemade diet or or maybe pre-made fresh or something like that, Um, which is great, you know, but I guess the question is like, yeah, what are the benefits of that? Yeah, so or like why would people choose to do that? So as so I'm a fresh feeder, so I feel like I do have a particular bias in something like this. But when I try to st- yeah. take a step back as a fresh feeder and go like that was my dogs, let's look at the research. Research is really really limited as far as comparative between fresh food and kibble. We don't have that much actual like research paper evidence saying that fresh food is better. Like I really, mm-hmm. as a fresh feeder, I'd love to tell you like the world changes when you feed a fresh food diet, but it's not that simple. I do think that because of some of the benefits that have shown up, 
maybe for certain medical conditions, a fresh food diet would actually be a really good choice, but, mm -hmm. and be, make a significant difference to that dog. And I think that's why for Ash in particular, it made such a big difference for him. But for other dogs, you might not notice a significant difference. And we have no long-term studies saying that like fresh food diets are going to increase your dog's lifespan or anything like that. But as far as research mm -hmm. we have, um, there's a couple of different research papers that have come out to show that fresh food diets are more digestible than a kibble diet. So you do have a little bit of an increased digestibility. The issue with many of these studies is that either ingredients or composition was significantly different between the diets looked at. And both of those things yeah. can influence digestibility. We know fiber does that. Processing method can influence. So like if you're using a meal versus a fresh food, all of those things can influence digestibility. Um, so we don't really 100, there's not that study that's been done where it's the same ingredients and same composition. And we've compared kibble and a cooked diet that hasn't been done yet. Same with like raw diets. If we want to kind of put them in the mix too, that study has not been done yet. There's no comparison data, even between a gently cooked diet and a raw diet in dogs. In cats, they did. So in cats, we have a okay. raw versus cooked study and there was no difference yes. in digestibility. But in dogs, we haven't had that study yet where it was same composition, okay. same ingredients. Um, generally speaking, when I've gone out and actually surveyed, so I went out and actually asked for digestibility study data from like foods that are over the counter. So not prescription products, but over the counter products. I did see a little bit higher on average digestibility and over the counter fresh food diets in comparison to over the counter kibbled products. But okay. there's kind of this gap of they all have different compositions, they're different ingredients, we really can't one-to-one -one compare them. Um, so yeah. we may see an increased digestibility that study hasn't been done yet. It seems to trend that way, but who knows as far as what research will tell us in the future. Um, mm -hmm. There was one research study that was done that showed that a, do a dog food that is composed of the same ingredients and same composition, the microbiome was more diverse and robust on a fresh food diet. This one was a combination mm -hmm. of um, cooked carbohydrates, raw vegetables, and then raw meat. So not lightly okay. cooked, but fresh food in comparison mm -hmm. to kibble. But that's only okay. one study. So not, not a significant population. Like there's not a lot of studies out there to show that. And it was a very brief study in the sense of it could have been way more detailed and it definitely wasn't. And there's been follow-up studies that where the diets were completely different and basically showed that um, if you go depending on basically the composition will depend on the microbiome composition. So it changes. Like if you have more protein in your diet, you're going to have different microbiome composition than if you have a high yeah. carbohydrate diet. And they don't really know what all these different microbiome species mean yet. Like we're just mm -hmm. learning that. So it's in its infancy, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, um, just really quick. So when you say fresh diet, does that does fresh always mean raw or does fresh just mean like cooked? Like Lightly, fresh food cooked. Yeah. Like I think of fresh food as something you would get on the outer edges of your grocery store, like fresh okay. produce, okay. Uh, fresh meat. Yeah. And then that may be lightly cooked or maybe given raw because I find that it's hard to explain that there's there's even a spectrum within fresh food in the sense of how much processing goes into it, um, mm -hmm. which is why 
it's hard to make generalized statements on benefits because we don't have really good comparative data <laughs> to even yeah. begin with to, for it. So it can be difficult. And that's why almost everyone says, hey, you know, my dog's doing really well and it maybe your dog was. And they don't have like research teams to back it up because it's just those don't exist yet. So yeah. And then the research from what you were just saying, it sounds like it'd be so hard to, you know, because if they use, let's say, the same the same ingredients, but then maybe some of the produce and meat was lightly cooked at a low temperature or versus a high temperature or versus, you know, and it's just like, it, I feel like there could be so much variability yeah, even within one research. So that completely makes sense that there isn't a ton out there yet. Yeah. We don't even have the basic research done on this. So I wish, I'm hoping yeah. that over time we will get that to come out. We will have really good comparative studies. Honestly, I feel like this is going to fall on the fresh food companies to do. I know a couple of the fresh mm -hmm. food companies have like picked a random kibbled product and then compared the digestibility of of all their diets to that kibble and found that their diets more were more highly digestible. But like the kibble, mm -hmm. picking a random kibble to compare digestibility to isn't really a very good control study, um, in my opinion, because yeah. mm -hmm. they're all different ingredients and compositions. So thanks, but that's yeah. uh, cool beans, that I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking when you were saying like there wasn't much research. I was like, well, there's definitely a research or a surgeons in like companies doing mm -hmm. different types of dog foods. And you're, and so I was thinking, I was like, it's going to come down to the companies to do clinical trials. But mm -hmm. sometimes those can be a little bit not as uh, covering all the bases. You know, it's better when like a third party does does like the studies and the clinical research and stuff. So yeah, I'm like thinking in my mind, I'm like, ooh, UC Davis needs to do this or something. Yeah, um, I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping that eventually, so there are a couple of pet food companies that have lines that include um, multiple br like types of food. So like they'll have a gently cooked or a lightly cooked, a raw, a freeze dried, a kibble. Like they have a line that includes multiple types. I'm honestly hoping hoping that maybe those companies will try to do comparative research because they have products across the board. Yeah. But I imagine that it's hard for these companies to be like, oh, well, I don't really probably want to do research comparing my products because that could demonize one of my products. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a potential bias in there where they don't, they might not want to do that research because it could end up badly for them and they could put a lot of money into it. So, yeah. um, and I also think that's why maybe a kibbled product might not want to do the research because what if it does end up demonizing their, like, what if the research mm -hmm. doesn't show positive results for them? Um, so most likely I think the good research for this will come out through university. That's yeah. the only way that I can see it really happening well is there's a couple of veterinary colleges that are starting to kind of partner together with different pet food companies to get food you know, put in so they can compare or maybe a pet food company that does a lot of development. Um, maybe they'll do the research, but I don't know. It's not 100% there yet. There's, like I said, it seems like there's a sliver there that says like there might be benefits to it. When I surveyed those companies for digestibility, I found that there was about a 5% difference on average. So okay. most kibbles are around 85 to 87. Most fresh food products were in the 90s-ish, so right around 90. So you're looking at maybe a 3 to 5% skew as far as digestibility for maybe the average dog that might not make a big deal. But like for Ash, where he had GI upset, that might make it all the difference in the world for him. Yeah. So that's kind yeah, of where I sure. see at least that. But I mean, I don't know all of the other things. Like, what was it? Just Food for Dogs did a white paper 
about um, immune benefits, but there's been a lot of um, pushback on that because I guess it wasn't like very well set up or an- the analysis was kind of wonky according to some eternal medicine specialists. Yeah. So um, again, maybe um, if the microbiome is more stable and diverse, then 80% of the immune systems there making that jump isn't very hard, like far, but Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of that. Like I said, it's only one study that's not substantial. So yeah. So what I'm hearing is that the pros of homemade diet is digestibility, potentially, as you said, not much research, but potentially the digestibility, which makes a big difference for the dogs like Ash. Um, And then is it also, I mean, for me, I've done, I've been doing a little bit of a homemade diet with Lupin, which um, I may ask you some questions about later <laughs> off the air, <laughs> may sure. may sign up for a little consult with you. But I've really enjoyed being able to have full control yes. over his diet. So that's been like my, you know, like a pro for me. Do you find that as well? As yeah. Like a- so the other two benefits of a homemade diet have to come down to like the individual dog, like control over the diet. So being able, like if you do have a dog with food allergies, you have full control over exactly what goes into the diet. So especially dogs that have yeah. multiple allergies can make it really hard to find a pre-made product because tons of pre-made products, many, some of them will use one protein, but maybe they don't have the carbohydrate you need, or they may have like certain other ingredients added in, like many have fish oil added in to a diet, Mm -hmm. which for a dog, depending on the severity of allergy, that could be an issue. Um, Some of the diets as well will be all manufactured on the same equipment, even though they clean it between that could be enough for some dogs with allergies. Um, So having that control over like, I can buy separate pots and pans for my dog and then know that only my dog's food touches this and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be cross-contaminated with anything else. And I can make sure I'm sourcing it exactly how you, how I want. So if you want like just organic or a certain grade of meat or certain types of produce from like your local farmer's market, like you can do that with a homemade diet. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that can be pretty beneficial for a homemade diet is going to be for dogs that either are picky or go off their food. So uh, Mm -hmm. pickiness in general, like if you have a dog that is um, constantly rotating food on, you can actually make a diet that is homemade where you have multiple recipes and then you just have multiple recipes in your fridge and you can top your regular food or you can feed it as a sole diet. You can also change the composition however you want. So like you want a high fat, high protein, you can do that. You want it to be high carbohydrate, high fiber, you can do that. Like it's a blank Mm -hmm. slate that you can do everything with, which is both the best thing about it and sometimes the worst thing about it because you can completely mess it up, right? Um, But like with Ranger, I really wanted, because he was recently diagnosed with hip dysplasia. Um, Obviously he's had it his whole life, but I didn't know about it until recently. I wanted to change his diet to one that would support joint disease. I can do that for him with that. Or if you have a dog that has allergies and pancreatitis, you can do that. You can find a food that's a novel protein source that your dog would tolerate and also make it appropriate for being low fat where, you know, you might not be able to find that or say kidney disease where it needs to be low phosphorus. You can do that. So customization is definitely a positive. Um, And 
pickiness is definitely a positive. If you have a dog that is has like a medical condition like kidney disease where it actually the disease process makes them nauseous when it flares or like mm-hmm. liver disease, they'll get nauseous with the disease process. Um, having a fresh yeah. food diet that's more palatable, so it's tastier, um, mm-hmm. will make them potentially even live longer in those cases because they're consistently yeah. eating. Where many dogs mm. with kidney disease or liver disease, because they don't feel well, they stop eating, they stop eating and drinking potentially, then they, you know, become very dehydrated. They end up in the hospital. You end up with a lot of stress. If you can keep a pet eating when they're ill, they do better, especially if you can keep their muscle condition on too. Same with like cancer when they're going through chemotherapy. They say the number one thing with cancer treatment and it working really, really well is keeping a dog eating throughout that process Mm -hmm. because they'll go off food. So um, homemade diets can be very, very useful for those dogs when it's a medical condition, keeping them from eating too, not just like a dog that is generally picky. So those are definitely some positives. No, that's really interesting. I was just thinking as you were talking about um, the customizability of the like macronutrient kind of profile in there too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you want to do high protein or high carb, it's like, oh yeah, if there's dogs out there that are, if you're a huge hiker and they're, you know, sport dogs or right. doing something like that, that you, they need, you know, maybe higher carbohydrates or, or whatever, you know, to, mm-hmm. to fulfill that rather than giving them a whole nother scoop of kibble. Or something, you can bulk it up and you can customize it. And I really, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That sounds like really, it sounds really nice to be able to optimize their health to their lifestyle as well. Right. So like if you do, and the other thing is with a a kibbled product, like you can, you know, do a lot of different compositions, but you are limited by processing to make it into like a pellet. So if you do need, so say like you have a sled dog where, um, so dogs a a little bit different from people. So people uh, will burn carbohydrates for our activity. So, you know, you carb load as a person, dogs, you don't carb load. They metabolize energy differently. They actually fat burn after a certain point. So after your dog Mm -hmm. is active for about 30 minutes, like really active, not just walking, but really active for 30 minutes, they switch from being a carb burning dog to being a fat burning dog. So for athletic performance, once we get over that 30 minute mark, so say like a sled dog, when they're doing like crazy exertion for like six to eight hours, you actually want to start moving their diet into really high fat. And for those sled dogs, they're saying like 30 to 40% protein, like 60% fat. And like that amount of fat is really hard to do with a kibble with that amount of protein because there's no carbs to stick it together like a meatball, right? Like it just doesn't work. You can probably do it in like a freeze-dried or a dehydrated, but not in like a kibbled product that needs a meatball consistency, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So it's just – it gives you more flexibility with a homemade diet, I think, in general where – and you don't have to necessarily find it. You can just create it, which I like. Okay. So on that note, we've kind of covered the – some of the hardships about cooking from home or cooking a homemade diet as well as the benefits. So what are your top tips for people who want to start cooking their dog's food at home, you know, either like semi-regularly, maybe 50% of the time, whatever. Like what are you – what are your recommendations to sure. your top advice? So the first thing I want to state is that if you have a puppy or a dog that is still growing and you've never cooked for your dog before, I don't want you to start with a puppy. The reason for that is because most likely when you start cooking for your dog, you're going to mess up. 
like give yourself permission to mess up in the sense of you're going to measure something wrong. You're going to source the wrong ingredient. Something's going to happen at the beginning that's going to mess it up. When you have adult dog and you fiddle a little bit and a fib, it's not going to be a drastic consequence. But with a puppy, because they're growing, it's the stakes are a lot higher. And if you do it wrong, it could potentially cause like lifelong problems. So I usually say if you've never cooked before, don't start with a puppy. Unless your vet tells you to, don't do it. Buy pre-made. Go pre-made 100%. You can find there's a whole bunch of different large breeds, small breed, different compositions, pre-made diets. Do that to start. Um, Once you are comfortable, then go ahead and, or the puppy is full grown for, you know, a small breed dog, maybe after nine months to a year for giant breed dogs, that might be two years because they're still growing till they're about two years of age. Then I give you permission to go into this, <laughs> but yeah. don't start with a puppy. Um, okay. The next thing I wanted to say was that, you know, give but, yourself, sorry oh, go ahead. To interrupt. Um, no, okay. So if you do have a puppy, you can, so maybe like don't do the homemade mm-hmm. yourself, but you can maybe buy a pre-made yes. fresh Exactly. Still, if you have a so, puppy, because then you know it's coming from a balanced source for their growth. Yeah. So right? ideally, it would be tested in the sense of for typical analyses and stuff like that. They're going to be following a recipe that's made by you know a boarded nutritionist or someone that's highly qualified, and um, they've hopefully even done feeding trials. Like they have a well formulated, well done, well quality controlled diet. It's not across the board on uh, fresh food diets for this, so I would investigate your brand. But mm-hmm. um, it is something where definitely I would go towards pre made over trying to figure it out yourself, at least with a puppy. If you've been doing homemade for years and you have a puppy and you have a recipe that's balanced, you've been doing it for years. You have, you know, that 10,000 hours of experience to help you with mm-hmm. using just a new recipe. It'll be easy for you in that sense. Um, but for the new person, only do with adult dog. Um, and then just like on the puppy note, if they do buy it from a business that has like a pre-made fresh kind of thing, mm-hmm. does it need to be like a puppy-specific formula? Yes. Do they need yeah. to find – okay. They need to find a company that has puppy-specific – like if you want to do the pre-made fresh or or whatever, then you have to find like a puppy-specific formula for that exactly. time. Yeah. So okay. it I needs just to, to either be make sure for um, everyone. Yeah, the puppy specific formula. So it should have AFCO labeling on it. If it doesn't have AFCO lading, labeling for it, I would not feed it. I would make sure that it has an AFCO statement for puppies. So that means that it's either all life stages or for growth in lactation. Uh, if you have a large breed puppy, you want additional verbiage on there that says that it's for puppies with an adult weight of over 70 pounds, because that means it has the appropriate calcium to phosphorus ratio for an adult. Uh, a large breed puppy or giant breed puppy. So same thing as if you were buying a pre-made diet that is kibble or canned, those same things apply to getting a fresh food diet. Like all of these standards are the same. Um, And I guess if people needed help, I have like, you can go onto Wasaba to get the questions to ask your pet food company. Exactly the same with fresh food. Um, I have additional questions that I ask pet food companies on my blog. I also have all the pet food companies that are fresh on there with breakdowns of which ones have puppy recipes. So okay. well, there's a lot of resources out there. <laughs> okay, perfect. No, I just want to thank you so much for answering that. I just wanted to make sure because I know when I previously worked at a dog food company, it was like... The puppies need something different, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew that that it like even if you were going fresh, you still have to get the the puppy formula kind of yes. thing. So okay, yes. cool. So 
So that's that. Mm -hmm. That's your first tip is like, don't start it right off the bat, especially with a puppy. And then Mm -hmm. my second tip as far as for people starting out, start out small. It's not a race. So you don't need to go 100% of fresh food right away. You don't need to do a two-week transition or a four-day transition or need to do a cold turkey. I don't usually recommend cold turkey. Um, if you're doing a homemade recipe and you're using something like balancedage.com to create it, I usually recommend looking at what diet they're on currently, if they're doing well on it, and matching your macros and potentially even your ingredients. Um, so match them on there so that maybe the transition will go more smoothly. And then if you would like to edit later, you can do that. But I find that transitions go easier when ingredients and macros are the same. If your dog has done well on it, then the transition will go really easy. Um, many people, I honestly recommend just making a daily batch every week. If you have a large breed dog, if you have a small breed dog, um, you could make, uh, maybe a weekly batch and then just do a slow transition onto it. Whatever size, Mm -hmm. I guess, makes you most comfortable. Um, I know some people do a weekly batch with a small breed dog and then they'll divide it over a month at 25%. And then the next next month they'll make a, you know, a two week batch and then they'll divide it over a month and that'll be 50%. So it'll take four months to get 100% onto fresh food. Um, for large breed dogs, I say a daily batch just because like Ranger's batch for a week, um, is a lot sometimes. Um, so if you want to do a weekly batch and spread it out over a month, it kind of depends on, I guess, how comfortable you are with cooking, how comfortable you are with the batch. Um, But I say start small and work your way up. You don't have to go fast. Um, The other thing is that once you do get comfortable, invest in kitchen kitchen equipment that's going to make it go faster. Because if you have a large breed Mm -hmm. dog, again, I have bigger dogs, I have 50 pound dogs, so 100 pounds together, um, you know, investing in the 12 cup food processor or the giant slow cooker or the, uh, you know, 10 cup uh, uh, rice cooker or whatever, like those things will save you so much time. So making that investment may be potentially a really good idea for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then obviously, like I said at the beginning, choosing a recipe that's actually balanced to begin with. So finding a good source of information, following up with your vet afterwards, saying that you, you know, you're doing this transition, potentially doing blood work afterwards and Mm -hmm. um, just not rushing. It's, I've seen so many people try to go like cold turkey onto like fresh food and it ends up as a disaster. Yeah. And there's really no reason to do that. <laughs> yeah. You don't have yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could like, you could also maybe this a little like anthropomorphic. If you think about it in relation to yourself and when you try to do like, you know, like I'm going on the keto diet or like whatever, you're, like as a person. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you get like a couple weeks in and you're like, this is not sustainable or this is hard or whatever. Yeah. I think it could probably be very similar as trying to completely 180 a different diet with your dog, like jump into it fully. So I, I really like that tip of kind of like doing it slowly for sure. Yeah. No, a lot of people do jump into doing it. And it's a lot to take on, like, especially like, I feel like with a smaller breed dog, it's not as substantial because like my aunt cooks for her dog and, um, it, you know, she does one batch and it lasts her two months (laughs) and and it's the same batch size that lasts me a week. (laughs) So I'm like a little Mm -hmm. bit jealous with that. Um, but, and the other thing I actually didn't mention, I guess this is a bit of a product plug, but if, um, if you don't like balance it because it's too open-ended, because it is, it's like all of these different options, you can use yes. what's called a DIY kit. And the DIY kits 
There's ones from Just Food for Dogs. I think there's some talk about other fresh pet food companies doing it as well. But um, mm-hmm. basically, their chicken and rice recipe, they give you the recipe and the nutrient blend that goes with it. And then you do that. So like say if you don't know if your dog's going to do well on a particular recipe, you can go and purchase their pre-made for two weeks, do a transition, and then cook and then work your way Mm -hmm. up to cooking that way. So that's like another, I guess, alternative way to get to cooking for yourself um, with trying out a diet at the same time if you're not 100% sure. Um, But they do have kits and they're a little bit more – like I said, they're not as open-ended as Balance It Is. Balance It Is, I feel like, um, because it's mo- so open-ended, it makes it so some people will create recipes that are like super high in fat or are using ingredients that maybe don't go together very well, and they end up mm-hmm. with you know loose stool and problems <laughs> just because yeah, of that. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Nikki, you've given us so much information, and I'm <laughs> so happy that you were able to come on today. I'm going to going to start wrapping up really quick, just since this is the With a Dog podcast. My final question for you is, why do you choose life with a dog? Honestly, I choose or I chose life with a dog because of companionship. Like, I just love them being around. I love that they're here. They provide support through like thick and thin. They're just there no matter what. And that's kind of the best part about dogs is like they they don't judge you. They don't have anything. They're just going to support you. Like it's like a silent support, mm-hmm. which is what I always love. So yeah, that's amazing. I love that answer. That's a good one. I don't think we've had that before. It's like that support <laughs> that they give yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Emotional, mental physical, getting you out the door, like all of that. It is, it is like, it's just like support that they're Mm -hmm. there for you always. That's amazing. All right. I'm still like reeling from everything that you told us. And you, I know that you have so much more to share. I know that you're like, you can tell you're a complete nerd for all of this. And I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So if any of our, if any of the listeners want to find you, connect with you, learn more from your blog, where do they find you? So my blog is www.thecaninehealthnut.com. I'm also on like Instagram um, at caninehealthnut. And um, right now I'm not super active because it's December and it's so busy. But in January, I'll start doing posts on a regular basis again. Um, But usually I'll do even some chats and stuff on there and some lives to give more information. But those are my two main platforms. Perfect. All right. Well, and if everyone wants to follow the podcast, it's at With a Dog Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So hopefully we'll see you next week. Thank you again, Nikki. This has been great. You're welcome. It was nice being on here. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. All content on the With a Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.